Hello and welcome to the Sabbatarianism podcast. My name is Justin. I have with me Mr. Richard Davis. Hello, Mr. Richard Davis. Hello, Justin. Unfortunately, Neil Saul is not with us today. He is under the weather. In fact, his whole household is under the weather. We're praying for them that they all get well soon. Uh, but Richard and I are here, and we're going to pick up the ball and keep going here with the Gospel of Luke. We're picking up, we left off in verse or in chapter 16 with the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, and we were kind of discussing before we hit record here that that's a really deep topic there, and, and one that's that's misunderstood. I thought you did a really good job of explaining it, but as we talked about just a little while ago, it's it's probably something where we need to do an entire podcast on it. It's a deep subject there. Yeah, it's we went over a lot of that in the history of the Covenant Papers, how the legal issues go forth and what's happening here at this period of time. And, and you really have to go back and, if you want to understand it fully, and go through a, an outline of those issues, at least up to this point, to put it in its proper historical and, and legal time frame. Uh, but that would take a whole podcast. So yeah, if we're going to do that, we'll just make one specially for that. Yeah, I think we should. I, I think that would be a good one. As I was telling you, you know, it's something that's misunderstood. And, and I can remember a time of, of sitting with a friend talking about it for 30 or 45 minutes. And uh, I don't think we came to those conclusions or any conclusions. We, we kind of were left scratching our heads afterwards. And uh, so I think it'd be a really good one to do for, for everyone out there. But there again, we do recommend, uh, we're going to do this at the beginning of every podcast. We recommend that you start by reading your Bible for yourself between you and God with his Holy Spirit. Start there. And then uh, when you're when you're done with that, come back to these podcasts, but please start in the beginning. Uh, we built on a lot of concepts from the beginning that took hours and hours and hours, and uh, we'll reference them as we go through here. And if you haven't listened to all those episodes and know what we're talking about, uh, it's going to sound confusing to you. So please start in the beginning, but we do thank you for your listenership. Anything else, Mr. Richard Davis? No, we'll just start if you'd like to. Okay. Uh, let's see, chapter 17 of the Gospel of Luke. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be, bet would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he would offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself if your brother. Okay, I, let me just stop there. Yeah. I think if you put all the we got to put this together a little bit here. The uh, the other I think this is mentioned in some of the other gospels, or at least once yep. more, in which it it says in the original context, it's talking about those who would cause one of the little ones to sin. Yeah, it's when he, I think he picks up one of the little ones and puts him in his lap uh, in Matthew. Well, he's saying if. You're the instrument of, of causing an, of these people to offend, really, to do wrong. You better not be an instrument of causing one of God's little ones to sin or lead them away or do something. It's not talking about uh, what we would call offending anyone. You know, sometimes offenses come from yourself and your own background, and people do things that may offend you. Uh, it's something we have to 
well, we should be considerate to one another, but we can't go around parsing everything we say or being bipartisanship bipartisan to the point where we never speak truth Don't because say it might all, bother yeah. somebody. That's not yeah. what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, causing these people to sin or, or lead them away from God. Verse 3, take heed to yourself if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you be filled, you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you've done all these things which you're commanded, Say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty. Don't be boasting about following the law. You're expected to follow the law. That, you know, that's a, a just a prerequisite to do what follow the precepts that God said is right. But we have to go above and beyond that. And, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, uh, does something against you and says, I'm sorry, you have to forgive, forgive them. I mean, now, there needs to be repentance because people right. will use that to get Bible stuff, right. to continue doing what they're doing. And that, sometimes you have to get away from people if they're doing that. You don't return harshness. You have to turn the other cheek and get out of their way at times to keep them from hardening or causing you to sin. But I think in other Gospels he says even if they do it 70 times, 70 if they times, repent 70, 70 times, yes. you forgive them 70 times. Yeah. Yeah, in other words, we have to be long-suffering with each other, and we have to use wisdom in how that works itself out, but don't just become hardened towards somebody that's really trying to do what's right, just because they have weaknesses, because we all do. Key part here is, is the repentance part, though. I mean, you don't just have to take something over and over and over from somebody. Some people, you will just need to put them out of your life. Or put them away from you, yeah. especially if they keep doing it. Yeah. And you, you can forgive them, but you sure. should forgive them, but you don't have to be around them. Right. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he ret- entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that they went and they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He was, And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. A lot of, lot of lessons in that. Yeah. You know, that we ask things from God and we never take the time to really thank him or 
praise him or appreciate what he is in our life. Unless we do that, the relationship becomes a one-sided gimme, 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 gimme. Yeah. And I believe Solomon said something about that in Proverbs chapter 30, I believe. It's not very complimentary. Well, and, and Job, Job 2, the exchange between him and his wife where he says, shall we not praise him when bad things happen to us as well? Yeah. Verse 20, now when he had asked by the... He was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will you say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is, says here, within you. I think your heart. accurate translation is among you. Yeah, it begins in your heart with God's Holy Spirit, but also Jesus Christ himself was the king there standing with them. Uh, and... It's a progressive thing that happens subtly, and it begins, and ultimately it will come to fruition. Christ ultimately stands on this earth and changes things on this earth, and one day will even change what the earth is. When the new kingdom comes, the new Jerusalem, but I, I think he's also saying it's not a destination, it's a journey, right? Yes. That's what he's saying here. That's right. Okay. That's right. It had begun back in that day in that form, and it's still in progression. It's not complete. Until, it's going to be the whole rest of your life, yes. so keep at it. Verse 22, then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, look there, do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of, out of one part, under heaven shines to the other part under heaven. So also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And there again, that's in the context of what he's talking about, the kingdom of God. Ultimately, when Christ stands upon this earth in a new part of that kingdom, him ruling over this whole earth comes, there'll be no question. It will be seen by everyone. But until that day, there's still a progression going on, which we, even though that spirit of God has begun in his people, his church, and that part that's within us, we still will suffer many things and be rejected by this generation because that kingdom has not come completely and will not until he stands on this earth. Maybe even a better way to translate might be this age instead yeah. of this generation. Yes. Verse 26, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Can we stop here for a sec? Yes. I, I think there's a lot here. This, uh, likewise, it will be like in the days of Noah. Mm -hmm. That's talked about a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. And the point of this is everyone was still giving in marriage, eating, drinking, ha being merry, having fun. Carrying on their, in their pleasure. Right. The, they had no idea because Noah was the only one that was that had the relationship with God, so he's the one that knew. Mm -hmm. 
Lot is the only one that had the relationship with God through Abraham. So out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he's the only one that knew and was warned to get out of the city, right? Yes. All the rest are tied up in the cares of this world and the pleasures of this world. So they didn't know anything about it, and it came on them like a thief in the night. Mm -hmm. That's all that's being said about likewise in the days of Noah. I think that's turned into a lot of end times type things. Mm-hmm. That, that people read into that. But but this is the point that's being made here, right? Yes. Well, another thing I might mention here, because this, I think, is twisted, this to make part of another doctrine, is that it says in another place, I, I believe it's in the, in the same translation in one of the other uh, Gospels, but if not, it's certainly in other translations, uh, it says that likewise they ate and they drank, but on the day the lot went out of Sodom, rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It says there another place it said until God took them away. Mm. And in that context, it means God taking them away means him destroying their lives and putting an end to it. This earthly fleshly life from this age. Yes. Not eternal death. That's right. Yeah. And God took them away. Uh, and here he's talking about the future now in verse 31. He said, In that day he was on the rooftop, housetop, and his goods are in the house, and let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, and let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you that there might be one. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other left. Two women will grind together. The one will be taken as the people were in the days Mm -hmm. of Noah. Right. That means God's going to destroy one and leave the other. Right. And the other left. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. And And here's the explanation. And he said to him, where, Lord? And he said, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered, or the vultures, vultures right. will be gathered together. They eat so the dead things. Yes, he's, it's not going to be like in the days of Noah where everybody was killed. Uh, it's going to be one here. One will be, take, his life will be taken by God, and the other wouldn't, won't. And he said, well, where's this going to be happening? He said, well, look where the vultures are, and you'll see the dead bodies. That's really what right. he's saying. And that's in a prophecy of, of the birds of the air gathering and eating and feasting on bodies. That's that's prophesied as well. Yeah, and that's not talking about God snatching one of them going up to heaven right. and leaving the other on this earth. Right. As certain philosophies have developed over time try to say. In the context, it's talking about God destroying people. The one that's taken is the dead one. The dead one, the, like the people that before... Noah and Lot yeah. were killed or taken away by God because of their sins. And that's all that's really saying. Yeah, I've, been, I've seen entire books written and, and sermons and, and whatnot on, on as in the days of Noah. Yeah. And, and really, this is the only point. Chapter 18. Then he spoke a parable to them. The men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was a certain... In a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, 
Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's a question. It is. And I, I think I, that's a really good question. Uh, or, and in the context, he's talking about keep your faith. Keep crying out day and night to God. As we go through our entire lives, I know there are times when we don't know whether God is, go, is, is even hearing us. But God knows what we need. And we're going to go through trials. And we're going to go through suffering. That's part of growth. But keep that faith. Well, I, I read this one. Um, I've, I've really thought about this a lot over the years of basically what this is saying um, is be the squeaky wheel. You know, keep praying. Yes. Keep after it. And don't give up. Don't give up. But yet, I read that Messiah asked him three times. I read that Paul asked three times for his, for his uh, ailment to mm. be taken care of, and God says, I'm enough. That's enough, yeah. I, I don't need that. Yeah. Uh, basically, my grace is sufficient, I believe, is what he said. That's to what him. Paul said, yes. So am I doing wrong if I pray for something more than three times? I've, I've really, and, and don't, it also says don't um, carry on and on like the pagans of, of uh, repetitious prayer. Yeah, that has no real heart or meaning. Right. It's just a rote prayer. Right. No, I, I think right here he's saying just keep on. Keep on yeah. keeping on. I mean, God hears you, and he'll give it to you whenever you need it, or he'll make changes in your life as you need. And I would caution anybody that's asking God for something to ask yourself whether perhaps you're on the wrong track. Right. Sometimes God is saving you from what you want. <laughs> or maybe, the whole, like you've also said in the past, and I think it's an excellent point, is maybe the Holy Spirit is actually interceding for you, and that prayer isn't making it to God, because that's, it's not in the cards right now. That's what Paul said in Romans 8. You don't know what you need. Right. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for you, because you don't know what you should be praying for. But... You should still keep on praying because maybe one day it is time and the, the Spirit will take that to God or, or yes. however that works. I know that's, that's true. Okay. Verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in, in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men were, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breath, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That means upright before God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself, truly humbles himself. In his heart, not yeah. just outwardly. That's right, will be exalted. 
God, until you humble yourself and realize who's in charge, God can't lift you up. That's a really powerful parable yes. there. Yeah. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. What's he talking about here, Richard? What, what does this say to you? Well, it, it goes right into the humility thing. A little child is innocent. Innocent, right. He is open to all kind of learning. He's, he hasn't developed that self-resistance yet to defend himself or to be, you know, all the flaws that human nature develops in us as we grow. But one who's malleable and teachable and will just follow his parents. One who's dependent and, on his yeah, parents. And trust, or trust in his parents and want yep. to believe. We go on about that. Want to please his parents. Yep. Day and night. That's to become like a little child to God is what he wants. To your father. Yes. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God's little child will by no means enter it. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. No argument. Jesus no doesn't argue. argument with, Jesus argue with him here. That's right. He didn't say, you, you don't need those works. Or that doesn't mean anything. No. And he, he doesn't say, you didn't do that either. Yeah, that's right. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, there's something different right there. Mm -hmm. Deals with the heart of these other things Christ is saying. Why are you doing it? What is your real spirit? Is it to exalt yourself or to keep the law so that you can be righteous? Or is the true spirit of God in you? Are you willing to give up yourself like Christ did for others and empty yourself in order to have a greater treasure? Really, is what he's saying. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful because he was rich. In other words, he was doing this to get all these things, to be righteous, self-righteous. He followed all those commandments so he could be rich. Yeah, and the, and the former covenant from Sinai, that was the requirement to those people. Well, and even like, a, a, why would you need those riches if you are like a child totally dependent on your father? That's right? true. You that, don't need those riches. Depend on him. There. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, and when you're a little child, you don't have any concept that you're going Money. to grow up one day and have to make it on your own and earn your own. You, right. My father's going to take care of me. You don't look for tomorrow's food. Just that's right. You got food right in front of you, right then. Yeah, we're gonna. Really, yeah, what does it mean to become like a little child? Right. Every time, all, we're gonna keep building on that as we go. Yeah, <laughs> you thinking? live in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little child's gonna wake up every morning and know that there's somebody there to feed him. No doubt at all. Yep. Verse twenty-four. 
And when Jesus saw that he had be- that, he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because you can begin to trust in yourself and in your riches to give you everything of what you want. And it's that easy to lose sight of where your real riches are and where your real who your real supplier is. And I've, I've known people in my life where they use their riches as leverage on others. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Verse 26, And those who heard it said, Who can then be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come. Eternal life. Yes. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. This saying was hidden from them. They didn't have a clue. That's the words of the Bible. Yeah. God didn't open their understanding to what he was talking about at that time. Right. I've kind of sat amazed at, you know, we'll come to it, the road to Emus, the the two guys that even after his death just still didn't get it. They they had hoped that he would be the Messiah, they say. And I've always just really thought, man, guys, come on. But (laughs) there it is. This saying was hidden from them. That's right. By God. Mm-hmm. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Luke just builds on concept after concept here. Uh, he's, the guy the guy wouldn't shut up, like, mm-hmm. like the woman with the judge, right? She wouldn't right. shut up. She kept on. That's <laughs> the very beginning of this. And then what made this man well? Well, it, actually, faith. It, it, Your he faith. was made well by Jesus Christ right. because of right. his faith. Because of his and faith. people yeah, will get that under upside down. You know, we have whole religions that believe it's all in your hands. You become the self-Christ, so to speak. And then you have the power to heal. That's right. And if you don't, 
it's not happening. It's because you lack your faith and you need to work on your faith and they'll counsel you about it and so forth and so Guilty. on. Guilty. I've believed yeah. that early in yeah. it's, my, my faith. Yeah. I thought I should be able to heal and I couldn't. You must believe, but it's God who does the healing, yep. as it was Christ who do, did the healing because of his faith. Even for the apostles when he sent them out, yes. it was through his spirit. It wasn't them physically doing it through their own spirit. And more than that, it wasn't the people they healed doing it because they believed them. In other words, that would negate the apostles and Christ from from the act itself. Mm, yeah, you're right. It, it's, uh, it comes from God. Chapter 19. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they, they saw it, they Who's all they? complained. They would be those his followers and those around him. Yep. He has gone to be the guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, true, you know, he does that for all of us who were lost. Mm -hmm. But being a son of Abraham, this also can afford fact to the the children of Israel who had been cast off and dispersed long ago and this deals with the issue that's in the parable of uh, Lazarus and the rich man the firstborn the, the separating of the two the two tribes Israel the children of Joseph and the northern kingdom had been the dispersion or dispersed hundreds of years before and even the Jews and those with them had become to deny historically that they're even Israelites just like they do today right and he's saying they were lost now I've come to begin to gather them but at the same time he's talking about sinners who've been lost and he's coming to reach out to them verse 11 now as they heard these things he spoke another parable because he was near Jer Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately therefore he said a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered them ten minas, that's money, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that they might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your miners earned ten miners. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful, and very little have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your miner has earned ten miners. Five. Five miners. Likewise, he said to, 
to him. You also be over five cities. Remember, like now, in the parable, these things are figurative. Right. Very Um, important for this parable. Yes, as it is for other parables, like we talked about earlier. It's, these are not literal necessarily talk about cities, but over duties that God will give you whenever this one tripped me up the a time lot. comes. Yeah. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you. Because Now, there's a bad spirit. God yep. is not a spirit of fear. Because you're an austere man, you collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. More attributes that are not godly. Yeah, well, actually, he's saying there you you give it out to somebody else to do, and then you you reap from that. Which, oh, yeah. I thought he was saying you take. No. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and then at my coming I might have collected it with interest? I got something from it. That that word there, translated as interest, used to be translated as usury. Yes, it's it's actually been forbidden. Most of really? the years since uh, the Messiah was forbidden uh, to to charge interest on loans, mm-hmm. and especially between your brothers. That's right there in in the law. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it it was forbidden for many many years. Yeah, he's just saying here, you didn't do anything because of fear yeah. and disobedience. Now, back when his he gave this started this parable, he's making a point that he's going to go away, and he gives us a charge to do something to use our gifts to produce good fruit. That's right. Back for to God, that one. for God. Yeah, yeah. And and if nothing more, just leave it out there for somebody else to do it instead of burying it or putting it away. Or hiding it under the bed like he used with the yeah. parable on the, the lit lamp. <laughs> under a bushel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why did you then not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by him, take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten minus. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minus. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Okay, now that principle he's talking about there, he first mentions it in Matthew 13. When they ask him, why do you speak in parables? And he said, because talking about the Jews there and those aligned with him in that day that he was blinding or about to blind. He didn't come there to convert them. He came there to put judgment on them because of their former disobedience. And he said, I'm not speaking to them. I speak in parables to hide the meaning from them. And he then explained the parables to his disciples that he was trying to teach. And he said at that moment, here again, there's an important legal moment. He's saying, I have come to take away the relationship they formerly had with me. That's putting them in outer darkness because of what they've previously done and will do. And also to take the scepter from them, from Genesis 49. Yes. That scepter is now as, officially being taken from them because 
Shiloh, Shiloh has come. He is Shiloh. Yes, he is. That's him. And he will be the king, which right. is the scepter, the ruler. Who, who the scepter belongs to. Yes. And how it's always belonged. Yeah, and that scepter will be separate from his brothers, Judah, when he goes into his right. kingdom. Okay. Verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then he brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who now comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if they should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. As Richard, he, do, do you know, this is a... This, of course, is something for the Passover, and I believe this was a tradition that was followed each year, where uh, there was a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. I don't know if it was the chosen lambs or or what it was. Are you familiar with that? I'm not sure. And they would say, Hosanna in the highest, and, and that's why the Pharisees rebuked him, saying, they shouldn't be saying this about you. You don't fill that role. I'm not certain about the, those traditions, but I do believe that this comes from, originates from Genesis 49, the prophecy of Judah there in Genesis 49, beginning in verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Because that's what the word Judah means, praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him, that Shiloh, shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes, etc. That's think where that prophecy originates that the people would do that it was bound there and they took it and gave it to jesus now how that developed or if it did as you're saying i i've never really studied that or heard that it could have been a tradition but that's the prophecy i, I believe that's where it originated okay that would occur and jesus fulfilled that right now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, 
saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. There, there you is. go. Yep. There it is. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's exactly what Titus, the Roman general, did. Surrounded yes. the city and crushed it. Yes, and anybody wants to really see what else he said at this time, Matthew 23 is a companion chapter. This is where he said, How often I've longed to gather you under my wings, and to, at this time your house is left to you desolate. Until you say in repentance, Blessed is who who comes in the name of the Lord. And that has not occurred yet. And that t is the time when God took his presence from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city that was a Canaanite city. Ezekiel 16 tells us of its origin, how God saw it, took it for himself, and then cast it off because of their sins. And that's the state of it today until Christ returns and puts his foot there. I think they were, they were worshiping their temple and their city and yes. all that, and God wanted nothing to do with that. He pulled his name completely from it. Yes, and he prophesied that in Ezekiel 24. And, you know, and it, when he put, and here, this is a prophecy. Yeah, yes. When he put Jerusalem and um, Judah in that position, he said, you know, the what Ezekiel did when his wife, God told him, your wife's going to die and then don't even mourn for her. And he was comparing that to the city of Jerusalem, which had been the bride, Christ's bride during that covenant and the people in it. And he said, they don't it'll be taken away from them and they'll neither acknowledge it nor mourn for it. And they just keep insisting that it hasn't. And that's where that historical Jewish claim and philosophy began. And Revelation 11 tells us that today God sees it as Sodom and Egypt where our Lord was crucified. There's no presence there of God until he returns. Christ returns and puts it there. That's the way I see it too. Yeah. Where are we now? 45. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who brought, bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, who were un un unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Now I want to uh, point out something here to be consistent. Uh, he was teaching daily in the temple. Daily. That didn't mean he did away with his Sabbath day. The Sabbath was still the Sabbath. And likewise, yeah, he didn't turn every day into the Sabbath day or nobody would be able to work. Yeah, or change it because he was teaching every day. And likewise, Paul... It said in one place in Acts was teaching or taught people every so day. Late in the night on every day, and the then first on day. and then late in the night on the first day of the week. In one instance, that didn't do away the Sabbath and glorify the first day of the week. 
Sabbath is the Sabbath. And it's been that way blessed. It's the creation of the world. Yes, since the creation of the world. That's why God put it in the commandment in Exodus. Chapter 20. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who is he who gave you the authority? But he answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they're persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, They did not know where it was from. And Jesus answered to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I won't play your game, and otherwise this political nonsense don't work. Verse 9, Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went away into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but whomever f- on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes in that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against, against them. them. Now this is another one where you got to really know the metaphor that he's using here. Mm-hmm. And... It's interesting, my mom just came to me the other day and was telling me, the vine dressers, the the first servants that they sent, that was the prophets. Yeah. She said, I always knew the son was was a representation <laughs> of the Messiah, but the, the others, the, they were the, yes, that was the prophets and, and Moses and all the others that came before him. And, and the son in this story is, of course, the Messiah. And they killed him. But notice why they killed him. Because the inheritance would be theirs. In other words, exalting themselves against God himself. That's what they were doing. And so they cast him out and killed him. For the Pharisees knew that he had spoken this parable against them. them. And they that, are the vine dressers. Yes. You know, Paul talked about them being blinded in order to carry this out. That was their role from the beginning. And there'll be a day when they'll be brought back in. Yep. So he said, don't speak against them because those of you who are 
not native vines or, or branches. Wild or, or, olives. Yeah, wild olives are grafted in. How much easier is it for them to be drafted, grafted in when their time comes? And God opens their eyes. So we're dealing here with a very critical point in time where God is causing this stuff, bringing this to fruition. And Paul compares that to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in that time, which was consistent with their character and how they were living. And this was consistent with how these men were as well. But the time had come when he was to cut them off and a transition to a better way of life would come in. And that better way of life, as we have talked about when we've gone through these podcasts, is a return to the relationship God knew with Abraham that was rejected there at Mount Sinai when he first made the covenant with him. And they demanded a mediator because they feared him. That must have been heartbreaking for God. Uh, and he hung around with Because of Abraham. Yes. yes. But now's the time when that's that's getting ready to end. And he's about to bring upon them what they deserve. They'll pay the price for that. But the end result of what they do is to bring salvation to the whole world. And that's what Paul tells us in those chapters of Romans, chapters 9 through 11. And just remember what Christ said when he hung on the cross. He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He wasn't just talking about the Romans who were crucifying him. He was talking about all those men who had taken part in this and these people. They were blinded for that very reason to bring this about. But ultimately, it will bring a better thing to all of God's creation. Verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that what you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism or teach the way of God in but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he received their craft perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. <clears throat> Whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people, and they marveled at his answer and kept silent. He had him every step of the way. Yeah. They couldn't trick him. And and he could trick them. I mean, the, the question that he asked him, he asked him a question. They were in checkmate, and they, before it even even started, he had him in checkmate. Well, his answers were pure and honest, right? And he understood what this is about. And obviously, there'd been a contention among them about who got the money, them or Caesar. He's simply saying Caesar, by builds your roads, protects you, does the things for you. Then you need to. Render him due benevolence for, for that, just like with any community. And whatever God requires of you, you're to contribute to that as well. Well, and if, it, like we say here, I mean, we're, we're at a, the place where we have a weekly congregation and the lights are on and, and we have Absolutely. air and that stuff needs to be paid for. Yes. Verse 27. 
Then some of the Sadducees who denied that there was a resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children. The second took her his wife, and he died childless. And the third took her, and that, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. And Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. That's a physical thing. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age as a spirit, spirit being, yes, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry or are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore. For they're equal to the angels in that manner and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he's not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then one of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you've spoken well. But after that, they dared not answer him anymore. Question him anymore. Dare not question. You're right. But he's simply saying you're trying to compare something here to something that has no meaning in that. They're trying to prove there is no afterlife, and he was saying, "Yeah, it's in the scriptures. Read it over." Yeah, verse forty-one. He said to them, "How can they say that the Christ is the son of David?" He said to them, "How can they say that the Christ is the son of David?" Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, "The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool." Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? This is a little tricky here. <laughs> well, that comes, I believe, from Psalm one ten, and it's he's once again he's falling in the same light. He's saying he's he will be a son of David as a physical man, but he was God. But he's Lord. He's Lord, and he was the Lord of David. Now that don't fit in the theology of some people who try to claim that Christ had no previous existence, but nothing that the volumes of things that prove they're wrong don't fit with them e- either because they've sat down and made up some kind they've of got it in their heart. so-called figurative explanation to explain everything that testifies of the preexistence of Christ yeah. away. Right. Yeah. And they do that to try and please the Father or, or show their allegiance to the Father, and it's just misguided. Yes. Well, it's trying to make themselves— the self-Christ. Yep. You know, Christ came, and then somehow he qualified to be God and died for and your sins. And I can sins. do it, too. One man can't die for the sins of another. That's what the word of God says. And if he wasn't God, he's not your Savior. Verse 45. Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feast." who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. He really uh, didn't hold back on that one. No. He really let go on them right here b- yeah, he before did. they actually killed him, you know, told them what they needed to be told. And it's also things that we need to be careful of. These are lessons that we need to learn, too. 
beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, so fancy clothes, the fancy trendy clothes. They love the greetings in the marketplaces, so they, they have... We call the titles. Well, and, and they have what would be today called clout. You know, yeah. they're, they're thought of highly. Um, yeah. The best seats in the synagogues mean, you know, they, they are in high regard uh, in their community. The best places at the feast, same things. Who and devour widows', widows houses. They take from widows, retired people, old people for their great exalted works without any regard to the harm they may be doing those people. You and know, that happens in the Christian community absolute. and has for a long time. You know, my son has been over into Europe and gone to some of these big temples over there. Or that's what you would call cathedrals. Cathedrals. Yeah. And you look at those things, and especially in the age that some of them were built, and all the finery and the labor and the money that had to go into that, and you think, how many people could have been fed with this? How many people went went without meals? Yes. So that that could be built. Poorly they lived in mere slavery by those exalting themselves over them. You know, I think it's right there in the chapter 66 of Isaiah, where he said, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What temple can you build for me? I don't look to those kinds of things, but to this man will I look, one who is contrite, humble, contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. That's where the temple of God is. That's right. That's where his presence is. Not in one of those things. That is so upside down and backwards but that was the problem they had that big finery exalting themselves and you're right they would do it at the expense of a widow yeah oh they would tell a widow you will if you give us your last dime you're like the widow who gave of her might yeah zechariah called that feeding sheep for For the slaughter. slaughter yeah yeah for what you can get from them all right well we'll leave it off here thank you richard for coming in i appreciate you as always and we'll talk to you guys next time bye-bye